Another edition of the Behind the You podcast, and I am joined by a familiar face, Joe Zagaki, voice of the Canes. Joe, you're always there for me, and you are there for me today. Thank you for doing this. My pleasure, Josh. Looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. You're doing a great job on all these podcasts. Well, I appreciate that. So I'm glad you just said that, not for my own sake. I'm glad you said that because I just want to get this out there for everyone that's going to listen to this. I hope everyone appreciates the job you do calling the games on the radio because the passion you do it with, the appreciation for the craft, the work you put in, and when it comes down to it, you are the play-by-play man. You call the games and you do a fantastic job on multiple levels doing it for someone who's been in the business and been by your side. I want you to know that I notice and I want the people that listen to understand what a gem they have in you as the voice of the Canes. Yeah, appreciate that. Very kind of you. Every game is a new adventure, whether it's a football game or a basketball ball game you never know where it's going to go and you know play-by-play guys are storytellers and you try to tell a story and when you're the the local voice of a team it's different than when you're the national voice and when you're the local voice I think you should represent that program and the University of Miami program certainly has a lot of passion behind it so I think it's appropriate then to call a game with passion. The thing I wanted to do today is I really wanted to take people behind the scenes, right? This is kind of behind the you. It's a journey in storytelling and we can do your story another time. What I want to do this time is tell, take people behind the scenes on how you get ready to call a game. And before we do that, I just wanted you to maybe expand a little bit on what you just talked about, which is as you got walk into a booth every Saturday or a Thursday night, whatever it is, what is fundamentally your priority as the person who is sort of being gifted with having to describe the action? How do you sort of frame in your head, hey, I need to make sure these are the important things that I do on a game in game out basis? What, what, how, how do you think it's important for you to connect with the audience? Well, the job is to paint a picture. It's also to hit the bullseye from a long distance. So it's a combination of make sure you get it right and paint a very clear picture. And at the same time, be able to take the listener with you. You want them to feel like they're sitting next to you or they're at the game. You want them to feel what you see and feel. So when you walk into that booth and look around, uh, it's different for every game. We could be on the road, you know, Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago, and you could see the, the students jumping up and down. You could feel the importance of the game to Pittsburgh. So you try to feed off of all that energy and Take the people with you. It's an adventure. Wherever we go, whether it's at Hard Rock Stadium, the Watsco Center, Cameron Indoor Stadium, wherever it might be, give them a sense of where you are, what the stakes are, who the important players are, and why it matters. I think those are the important things. And then try to recap that throughout the game, which is, again, key storylines, who are the main characters at that moment, and why it, Why does it all matter? How do you manage your emotions, right? Because it's an emotional We are passionate about what we do. We're passionate about the school. And I feel for what you do, that helps you connect the game to the listener because you are invested. Well, I don't know that you can do this job if you're not emotional about it. You know, you look at all the great announcers through the years, especially at the local level, all those guys were significantly tied to their teams, whether it was, you know, Larry Munson at Georgia. And uh, he tells the story that Vince Dooley would always walk the other way because Munson would have some kind of negative thought before the game and Dooley didn't want to hear it. But Munson said, I just wanted to win all the time. And, you know, Larry Munson always said we and called them the dogs, the dogs at the ball at the 45. So 
I manage my emotions, I think you have to be able to speak clearly at the moment of truth. And so you kind of do get lost in the game. I think one of the fun parts of the job is that it will take you to a place that probably, I'm going to say this, for me, the game can take me to a place that I don't know that I would get to if I was doing something else. And so not to say that another job doesn't do that for someone, because I don't know. I haven't had one of those jobs. But for me, the other day, for example, it's fourth and 14. And the only thing that matters at that moment in your life, in your mind, in the space in your brain is fourth and 14. And what what's on the line here? What does it mean? And so I think it's a pretty cool thing. So you have to manage your emotion to get through that. And some people, I, I think there are times, you know, there's no question that my headset, you've been with me, my headset can fly off. <laughs> my hair can be disheveled. My headset can fly off, whatever. Cheeks are a little red sometimes. Cheeks are a little red. My face will get very red. But I do think there's a line that you, you come to. And as a broadcaster, you don't cross so I think I've done a pretty good job of that. Some people will say, God, you know, if I was doing that, I would have yelled this or yelled that. Well, yeah, I would like to yell even more at the officials. But <laughs> some of that is shtick, you know, you just try to bring some kind of levity to the broadcast. But, you know, handling your emotions, that's part of the deal. And I think being emotional leads you to, to the passion. And I think every guy that's had this job, whether it's at Miami or Kentucky or Florida or Florida State, you know, their heart is always with their team. I also know that you try to keep yourself focused. So you talked about key storylines and players. So when I say just the facts, what does that mean to you? And then I think usually right by its side, you have usually like your keys to the game. Maybe you could just paint a picture of what the booth looks like. When you walk inside the booth and you put your headsets, maybe paint a picture for us of your setup. Well, when you walk into the booth, the first thing you want to see is where are you? And that's important. Like you very specifically, like you're either sitting to the left or the right, like you want to be in a certain position. Yeah, I want to be generally to my right, to the right of Don. Well, actually, the hard rock him to his left because of the booth setup. But most importantly, I want to be in front of an open window. I don't care if it's 120 degrees outside or 15 below. I want the window to be open. Unfortunately, at hard rock, the window does not open. Uh, at the top of it, it does. And people will say, well, why is that important? You want an open window so that you feel the environment. You feel the cold, you feel the heat, you feel the fans. And if a window is in front of you, it's likely the sound is going to bounce off that window and hit you right back in the face. So just from a, an acoustic standpoint, you want the window open and you just feel like you've got a better view. So I want to know where we are. And it's also important, what side of the stadium are we on? Are we on the west side? Which I still haven't figured. I still haven't figured out yet. So it's important to know what's to my left, what's to my right, and then uh, as I set up in front of me, uh, I have my chart, which everybody has. Every play-by-play -play guy has a chart that's either geographical, which is set up with the positions in front of you. Geographical goes by positions, right? You know that one team's offense, uh, Miami's offense, and the other team's defense, and it's laid out geographically. Or you can go numerically, one through 99. And more people are starting to go numerically because there are a lot of double numbers and guys are interchangeable. There was a time where a defensive lineman was only in the 90s. Well, now a defensive lineman can be number two. So more people are starting to go numeric. I still go geographically. And I keep a couple of things in front of me that I think are important. One would be my card, which said, just the facts. But now I changed it to any play, any time. 
you have to be ready for any play on any time, right? Like the Duke game taught me there are no throwaway plays. The next next play could be the greatest play in the history of football or basketball. You don't know what's coming. So any throwaway, if you think it's a throwaway play, it's probably going to be the play that changes the universe. So you have to be ready for any play, any time. And just the facts means it's not my job to editorialize on the game. Not my job to opine on. You sneak some in there sometimes. I do, you're right. But I try to stick to, I think it's important sometimes you're going to have to say, okay, it's fourth down and one. The choices are go for it or punt and explain why you'd be on that that side. Doesn't mean you're right, but you, I think you, you owe it to the listener to explain what the options are out there. A lot of people can say, yeah, just go for it, go for it or blitz. But I think you, know, you try to explain what the options are. And, you know, a guy, it might be a two-point conversion. And my stand is pretty clear on two-point conversions. If you're going to run a two-point conversion, I'll generally say run your best play. You probably don't have a lot of plays in the bank for two-point conversions. Well, pick the best one. And uh, usually the coach tries to outfox the other guy some trick play. That's been the, the latest trend. But at any rate, in the booth, I have my chart. I have a couple of uh, things that will remind me of what I want to get to, recap, why it matters, just the facts, be ready for any play, down, distance, time, and score. You have to give the time and score. That's the most important thing. So generally to my right side is an hourglass and people go, what? An hourglass. I think my wife got it at a craft store. So the hourglass goes with me and the great John Miller taught me this. John Miller is the play-by-play voice of the San Francisco Giants, but he was with the Boston Red Sox and the Baltimore Orioles. And when he was with the Baltimore Orioles, I would spend a lot of time with him at Miami Stadium and I would watch him work. And uh, one time he came to a baseball game at Mark Light Stadium. So the two things I got from John Miller were, one, this sounds pretty simple, but a lot of people don't follow this. Never take your eyes off the field. You always have to keep your eyes on the field because as soon as you take your eyes off the field, something happens. Somebody's in the game, somebody's out of the game, something crazy happens and you go, what just happened? And number two was the hourglass which he got from other baseball announcers. In my hourglass, the sand runs through it every 90 seconds. And it's just a reminder to me to not go longer than 90 seconds without giving the score in any sport. Usually in football, I try to give it almost before every play, uh, where the ball is, what the time and score is. But sometimes it starts going fast. All these hurry-up offenses have made you adjust your style. It's hard to get all this stuff in. So the hourglass is there to remind me to make sure we don't go more than 90 seconds without giving a score. And then, of course, you have, what do we do? Our job is also to sell. Broadcast, that's part of the job. Whether people understand that or not, that's the job. It's the liners. So the liners come with me, and you got to find a way to get them in because that's what pays the bills, and that's what the people expect. So walk me through your routine right now as we're taping this. It's a Tuesday games on a Saturday. What have you done so far? What will you do? What does your week look like? What are the things that help you get to kickoff on Saturday? Yeah, the biggest days are Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's like taking a test, like building a school project. You work on your chart. I do it. A lot of people do it off their computer now, but I'm old fashioned. So I still handwrite out all my stuff. 
So I handwrite out my chart, which is the top players for both sides, top 22 or more for both sides. And it is their size, height, and weight, where they're from, and then their stats plus their bio. So in order to do that, you got to go through every player, especially the other team. And you spend time reading their information to find out if there's anything interesting in their background. And some of it depends on what is given to you in terms of what the other team writes. But you'll find out maybe a guy's 24 years old. Maybe his mom and dad were in the army. Maybe he went to a, a certain high school that is significant. Maybe his brother is playing in the NFL. Maybe his dad was a famous alumni of that school. Maybe his grandfather went to the University of Miami and there's a, whatever it is, you try to find nuggets. So you go through that. For me, it kind of starts on Sunday and I start writing it out on Sunday. You know, after Saturday, you wake up on Sunday, people find this hard to believe, but you feel like you've been hit by a Mack truck. You know, when you've been talking for eight hours straight, the next day, you feel it a little bit. Some guys can go off and do another NFL game. And I can you imagine them. that? No, I admire them to be able to do it. So I take some time off on Sunday. By Sunday night, I dive into my chart, start looking at the other team. On Monday, you start writing in all the stats, looking at some of the key storylines. On Tuesday, by Tuesday, I want to have all the names on my chart. It's not going to be completely filled out, but I want to have a good feel for what the other team is doing. Because on Tuesday, I'm going to go to practice and talk to the head coach, maybe a couple of coaches, get their thoughts on where the University of Miami is, what the challenge is, what the storylines are, what the key to the game is. Come home, then I start watching the other team. Primarily Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And I try to watch at least three of their games, their most recent games. Or I'll look at it and say, okay, I want to watch Virginia against Notre Dame or North Carolina. Maybe it's not in that order, but I want to watch them against a team that is similar to the style that Miami is going to play, that Miami plays, so I can see how they respond to it. If they're playing their latest game is against a wishbone team, it's going to get, only going to do me good for memorizing names and numbers, but not so much for strategy. But then I also want to watch their last three games because I think you can start to see which direction a team is trending in. And for Florida State, our most recent game, it was pretty simple to see where they were going. And where they were going was offensively, they wanted to run the football, they wanted to limit their penalties, and they wanted to win the red zone with their offense. And that's what they did against the University of Miami. And that's what they have done for the last month of their season. In addition to, they put everything on defense on their defensive line. So if you can get a feel for a team's identity, you can see it unfold in the game and then hopefully be able to communicate that to the audience of this is why what Miami is up against, this is what the other team is doing, and this is why. You know, you can see that pretty clearly, I think, in the game the other day. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I watch the other team. Uh, you try to memorize. When I first started, you want to memorize everybody. It's almost impossible. But the other team every week presents you with 85 players. So you have to memorize all the key players, at least the top 22 to 36. You don't have time. And I don't use a spotter. A lot of guys use a spotter. I don't. I call the game by myself. I don't want anybody telling me who is doing what and pointing. I just want to do it myself. I want to use my own focus, my own memory. It's all on me. If I screw it up, I screw it up. 
not somebody else. I'm only going to trust me. So uh, I don't use a spotter. I memorize as many guys as I can. And then the challenge of memorizing, and even with your own team, is double numbers. You got to find another way to figure it out. And I think listeners believe it's you know the name on the back of the jersey. The name in the back of the jersey is probably the last thing that helps you. If there's no name on the back of the jersey, it doesn't bother me at all. What I need is the number and then something else, whether maybe it's a elbow pad on the right elbow. Maybe it's the way they run. Maybe they have long hair. Uh, they wear gloves. There's something else looking for some other symbol to help you identify who the guy is. So you memorize all the names and numbers, and then you start looking at who they are and what other way can I uh, identify who they are? How do you test yourself, right? You're putting all the names in the bank each week, and I'm sure part of it is just straight memorization. Part of it is why you watch TV copies to hear the names and numbers, right, and start identifying. So how, how do you test yourself? And then the add-on would be, so now you got double numbers. When you get to the stadium for that hour, hour and a half before the game, are you in the binoculars looking for those guys? Uh, yes. So I test myself on uh, Wednesday night and then sometime on Thursday, late Thursday afternoon, Thursday night. I probably try to shut things down somewhere around seven o'clock on Thursday. And I take my chart and I put it in front of me and I put the uh, other team on the television with the sound down and I watch it and then I play the game in my head. So the next opponent is Virginia Tech. So I might watch Virginia Tech and Duke with no sound. And I watch the game with my chart and I watch the Virginia Tech players. And I say to myself, who are the players? Can I get it done? I watch the quarterback and if he throws a pass to the wide receiver, Trey Turner or Travion Robinson, do I have it in my head right away or do I have to sneak a peek at my chart? By the time I get to Saturday, I really want the chart just to be a, a cheat sheet. That's all. And just to be able to look down at it if I need it. So then when I get to the stadium, we get there uh, for road games two hours before. And home games pretty similar. When the team comes out, I take my binoculars and I scan the field to see who's doing what. I start on the other team doing the play-by-play. -play, uh, not so much in my head, but saying the numbers out loud. Because nothing in your head ever sounds the way it does unless it comes, you know, out loud. So I'll say them out loud. Oh, there's uh, Braxton Burmeister. There's uh, Malachi Thomas. There's Caleb Smith. Just so I start saying him and I see him and say him and have it ready to go by kickoff. So we had this conversation the other day. Actually, you shared this story with me prior to Georgia Tech. You shared with our pregame host that you actually went back and watched 2019 Georgia Tech Miami and 2018 Georgia Tech Miami, and he was stunned. And so I guess I would ask, why did you do that? Why was that important to you? I just felt like sometimes you go back and you watch the previous game of an opponent and you kind of compare where you are to where you were and see if there's anything in that previous game that is going to be significant in this game. Just another, I think when you prepare, uh, again, you start with this blank canvas and you never know where your preparation is going to take you. And I just kept watching Georgia Tech over and over this season. And I thought they've kind of had Miami's number and it's been this kind of the same thing. So I went back and watched it, the 2019 game and lo and behold, there are a lot of things in that game that I thought were going to be important for Miami in the upcoming game. One of which was the start of the game in 2019. The game was a 12 o'clock game. And Miami went out there and kind of flopped around and found themselves behind. And I thought to myself, here we are playing a 1230 game, 
kind of similar circumstances, don't make the same mistakes. And there was a trend there. Miami had made some special team mistakes in 2019, made special teams mistakes in 2018. And uh, every now and then, you know, a team has your number. And sometimes history is always great. You always look back. History is great to see. I don't like to dwell on it, but I think it's always worthwhile to look back to see what happened in a game and see if there's any relevance to where you are today. All right, you are an avid reader. We go on the road. I sit next to you on the plane. I don't know how many years I've been doing it. Usually there's a John Grissom or who's the Patterson? What's Patterson's first name? James Patterson. James Patterson. So you are an avid reader in part, I'm sure, because you enjoy it. But I also know that comes in handy to your call of the game. As Mad Dog used to say, imitation's the finest form of flattery. You are infusing your reading into the broadcast. Phrases, vocabulary, descriptions, etc. How does that help you? You know, a long time ago, well, first of all, I've always loved to read. That was kind of in my family. My mother is a uh, voracious reader, and uh, so is my brother, and I pass it on to my daughter. So everybody in our family, we all read, and we all have libraries in our house. My daughter's got a really good library. But I think uh, I do like to read a lot, and I tell all the kids that are trying to get into this business, pro is a former program director, you get all these calls all the time. Hey, uh, I think I could be in the business or my son can be in the business. They know everything. They know everything about sports or I, I know all this trivia. I know everything about sports. But long time ago, I learned it's more than stats. It's a craft. It's not like any other job, but in relationship to another job, it is a craft that comes with certain skills beyond sports and stats. When I was young, I had some great mentors that I got to sit next to for play-by-play -play to learn the basics of play-by-play, -play, Rick Weaver and Sonny Hirsch. And Rick Weaver was meticulous in his preparation. And I saw from him, it's not a one-day-a-week job. It's a 365-day job. You know, every, it's every day. Uh, you have to think about your job. How are you going to make the next broadcast better? One year, University of Miami, I think we were playing Notre Dame. And when Canes were great in those years, they always had the prime game on television. And there were fewer games on television, but they always had the big game on CBS. And so I think we were playing Notre, Notre Dame. We were on the road somewhere, Notre Dame, Michigan State. And the guy that had the game for CBS was Pat Hayden, a Rhodes Scholar former quarterback at USC, athletic director. And at the time, he was the analyst with Musburger and or Jim Nance. And uh, he told me, you know, when you do this job, you got to find different ways to explain the same thing. You can't just always say it's third down, you know, and a blade of grass. You got to find different ways to say things. And that's when I thought, oh, yeah, you know, that's how you start to incorporate your vocabulary. And vocabulary is really important. So when I read all the books and stuff, I find it fascinating. One, the books will take you someplace. And two, they're so well-written. And our job is to describe. My job is to describe. I cannot affect winning and losing in any way. But even though I might wear the same sneakers or the same shirt and have lots of superstitions, I can't influence winning or losing. My job is to describe. We describe things. So whatever is in that stadium or arena, the wind is, the, the flag is fluttering. We're trying to describe it. The popcorn is wafting through the air. Try to describe it. That is the job. Tyler Van Dyke comes to the line of scrimmage and tugs on his face mask. Got to describe it. Whatever I see in front of me. And I, I find the descriptions often through all the books I read. And it could be the weather report. It could be 
anything. And I just think it's cool to incorporate them into the game is I think you just got to find different ways to be descriptive, whatever that might be. Now, whatever path that is, the Mad Dog, he used to um, read the New York Times and he, he loved the way they describe movies. It's an action-packed thrill ride. He would take the lifestyle section out or whatever, the arts, arts entertainment section, and he would look at the movie ads for descriptive words. I just kind of like to uh, read the books, and if I see something in the book that applies to a game, then I might slide it in there. If for anything, for my own amusement. Well, it definitely comes out in, in the broadcast. Can you walk me through how you put pen to paper for the game opens. I think your wordsmith, your descriptions, your historical framework, it, I know everything is, is focused on the game, but like that moment when we hit the air is magic. <laughs> well, thank you. We call it our, what, our dramatic open, right? Everybody has a tease, a game open. Uh, it's pretty popular now. You see it for all the all the big games. And I think we've been actually doing it, Josh, what, for 20, 20 years on our project, right? We have. But I'm saying, but you have to say, I mean, it sounds like an author crafted it, but you are, I imagine there's a day or a moment you're sitting in your office, putting pen to paper, getting that out of your brain. Yeah, well, one thing about this business is there are deadlines. You have to play beat the clock. The clock starts, you know, you mentioned the week. And once you start going into the preparation, the clock starts ticking because when Saturday arrives at whatever time kickoff is or broadcast time, whether we are ready or not, you got to go. So we have deadlines. And generally, the deadline for the open is Wednesday afternoon to get it to Vic, our producer who's got to put it together. So I probably start thinking about it on Sundays, and it will just come to me, maybe in my sleep, maybe over breakfast, maybe watching the game, maybe pouring through some articles. I might read something for the, the other team. Sometimes what I need is just one word. I need one word to light the fuse. A couple of weeks ago, it was momentum. I used the theme of momentum. And uh, I wrote a first draft for momentum because Miami had the momentum. So that was going to build off of momentum. So I started playing around with momentum. And, you know, momentum is in your corner. It's in your favor. You can put it in your rearview mirror. What is momentum? It's elusive. It's hard to get. And I think then I probably uh, started looking at words for momentum. And then I got into uh, uh, momentum is physics. So I got into Newton's laws. I thought that would be funny. <laughs> Newton's second law of physics. So I think the open has to catch people. So you got to hit them with something. And again, sometimes I just think it's funny to see if anybody catches on to it because you never know. You know, you don't know what sticks. But I know in this business, you've got to be able to cut through the clutter and make it memorable, whether it's a touchdown call, your game open, or whatever. There's a lot of shouting going on in the world today. So you've got to make it memorable. So I want to generally make it memorable. So the other day, I started with momentum and somehow got it into Newton. So I thought if I sneak Newton into this thing, it would be pretty funny. It would be memorable. So the opens could go anywhere. It's just like winding, twisting, and it's excruciating, by the way, because it's just not the first draft. It's probably about five or six, and it's selecting the right words, hopefully to make it go in, in the right direction. Miami, Florida State, you know, is, is always kind of easy. 
because of the rivalry and all that stuff. But circumstances change, so uh, you got to mix the history with um, present day. Now, the one coming up will be a challenge. You'll have something, I am sure. Sometimes, by the way, in the off season, I would sneak in there. When I said this job goes 365 days in the off season, people wonder what do you do. And the off season is is not that long. But if I have a chance to decompress in the off season, that's where I can do a lot of reading, and I might come across stuff, and then I'll write it down. I'll write it down, make my own library to figure out, well, can I use this in an open? I'll put it on my computer under ideas. And it's just usually phrases or words. I might get them in July or June, June or July, May. And it'll sit there until August. And then I'll go back and look at it and say, anything in here I can I can use. So you try to work on it in the off season because it is a craft. You're always trying to figure out it's geography, by the way. This is a job of geography. Where is the ball and where is it going and how did it get there? It's geography. It's on the left hash mark. He drops back the throw from his 15-yard line. He fires it down the middle. It's complete at the Florida State 45-yard line between the hash marks. Miami comes up to the line of scrimmage. They're moving right to left. And if you're watching on your radio dial, moving right to left, you might have to check your radio dial like a safe cracker. You mentioned the board before. You said mix, the right mix. And I'm going down the path of, because we just went through this at Florida State. But again, in terms of the craft, in terms of building the broadcast so that it connects to the listener, you have always been, whether it's been basketball or football, hyper-focused on the things that surround the game, traditions, Osceola at midfield, enter Sandman for Virginia Tech, the crazies running out of the smoke, the crowd, how you use those to literally mix the story you are telling. Well, we are about audio and we are about trying to put a picture in the, it's theater of the mind, right? What we do is theater of the mind. So trying to put a picture in someone's mind and the picture is going to be different probably for everybody, but college athletics has all this pageantry and pizzazz and it brings you all of these elements so on radio it's a little bit different than tv tv can show the cameron crazies or osceola or wisconsin jump around we have the challenge in radio of how do we get that into the listener's head so i try to play around with all that as much as I can. I feel like, you know, if you're in, in the radio business or in audio business, I guess if you're a, a musician in a band, it's called having a good ear. And I feel like I have a pretty good ear being in this business for a long time. So I feel like I can mix the crowd or whatever they're offering us into the broadcast. I think that's important because that's what it is. It's you're trying to take them there. And I think for a big moment of the game, third down and 14, my dear friends, this is your ball game. And then a nice pause is appropriate to hear that crowd, you know, to take them to the edge of their seat and try to draw it out. You want to draw it out. If it's a long run, he's at the 40, the 30, the 25, one man to beat, cuts right at the 15. You want to be able to try to draw it out and take them with you so that they can hear the crowd, I think. And trying to match that up also, I think, is part of the craft. The other day, Van Dyke threw a touchdown to uh, Knighton, and I used the word pinballed off the defender. And at the same time he pinballed, you could hear the crowd roar, the Miami crowd, because they were astonished. 
what had just happened. So I think you have to figure out how to capture that. And hopefully we do try your best to do that. You put your broadcasting's interesting with all of those elements, you know, you go in there all the way back to what, what you said at the beginning. You know, what do you see when you go to the booth? You, you take all this stuff with you to the booth, right? The chart, the preparation, memorizing, the vocabulary, the crowd, the great theater, the big stage. You take all of that, all of those ingredients, you pour that in there with your heart and soul and you march it off to the slaughterhouse. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's a subjective business. You don't know. Beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Well, I hope people have a fine. I mean, I've witnessed it firsthand. It's why I said what I said at the beginning. I'm sure people have no clue. And I hope they have a fine appreciation for what it takes to get to Saturday and the work you do, the work you put in and how much you care about it. And I guarantee you right now, the only reason why we're cutting this off is I got to get you down the UM so you can do your job. But I'm going to take a wild guess that as you're driving down, you might be listening back to the Florida State game to continue to critique yourself and see what you could do better. Oh, yeah. That's a brutal experience, by the way. You know, if you ever hear they interview actors or actresses and they say, do you watch your films? And a lot of them say no. Well, do you listen to your games back? Yes. Do you like what you hear? Sometimes. <laughs> and I'll listen to all of it and critique myself up and down. I listen to it up and down 75 in the Palmetto because I think that's where a lot of people listen to games on their car radio. So that's where I'll listen. I'll time it sometimes to see how long I went before giving the score. And if I go longer than 90 seconds, then I'll cuss myself out. If I don't have the proper diction or enunciation, then I just start to squirm in my seat as I drive. But I, I will listen. And it's a it's a brutal experience to put yourself through that. You know, you could just park it, never listen to it, but to have some kind of real conversation and critique with yourself is kind of a bizarre experience. You know, you're looking in the mirror at yourself going, well, that was pretty good. Well, that one really sucked. Uh, you can do that a little bit better, but it does motivate you for the next game. And some broadcasters will tell you it's not the games that kill you. It's all the other stuff. It's the preparation and trying to get to the game. The game becomes the easy part, but the aftermath, the autopsy of the game, everybody's doing an autopsy on why did they win or lose? I'm doing an autopsy on did the broadcast win or lose? Fourth and 14 for you is not did they send three or four? It's did I get the call right? Right. And ultimately, you know, the judge of that, well, I guess is the audience or the bosses to survive in this business requires a lot of different things, which is a whole different story. But I think, you know, to go back and listen to yourself over and over. Sometimes some guys will say they don't need to do that anymore. I just figure this is my 43rd, 44th year doing it. And to me, it's get on to the next game. But yeah, I do it. I listen to it, like I said, on the highway and listen for all the little things. And kind of like a football coach or baseball coach, the fundamentals, down, distance, time, score, direction, conditions. Did you get all of those into the game someplace, especially if it's a long drive? And then late in the game, time, score, down, distance, timeouts. You got to let people know what it is. And most people don't listen to every word or every to the entire game. They come and they go. So the number one thing they want to know, what's the damn score? And 
I want to make sure I give them the score. And, and, you know, some people say, I can tell the score by the tone of your voice. I think I've gotten better at that. You need to drag down or up because if your team's winning or losing. So I, I think sometimes it's important to also show excitement for the other team. It is a great play. Other team scores in a great play. A great play is a great play. You got to make it a great play, whether it's against your team or not. You have to have an appreciation. It's a great play. It's a great play. Yeah, so I'll be listening, critiquing, and then uh, – Sometimes, like, sticking your hand in the garbage disposal might be easier. It can be brutal, but, you know, you figure it this way. If you can critique yourself hard, nothing anybody else can say should really bother you. No, well, you don't need to critique yourself that hard, buddy. And if you're in this business for a long time, you're going to get patted on the back, and you're going to get critiqued. You just kind of just try to keep hitting them down the middle. You have worked at your craft hard, and it shows. And I'll finish where we started. You're damn good at what you do, buddy. Not only calling the games, but being our leader and uh, taking us along with you. Us, me. I'm not even talking about the audience. I'm talking about Don, myself, and Vic uh, leading us down the right path. So I'm not surprised you did this for me today. And I found it immensely interesting. And I, like I said from before, I hope the audience really appreciates your skill set at delivering and calling a game and everything you put into it because I know it and now they know it you deserve it all I appreciate that I want to thank the audience for listening they've been listening to me for a long time without them we don't have anything whether they you know like it don't like it whatever it is I appreciate them going on for the ride I picture them all in my head by the way I picture all of them in my head when you're calling a game and by the way the audience they all have different faces yeah, yeah. they, all <laughs> no, they don't know what they look like but you picture them in your head you know who I use sometimes when we get to hard rock and we walk through you know the people that get there early in their tailgating those are my faces it's a bizarre sometimes a bizarre way to make a living it's a fun way to make a living it's uh crazy but yeah i try to put the audience in my head so thank you to the listeners for being there for us 